0: I might have an inspiration based on images that I found or an object that I found. I don't work digitally necessarily to kind of line things out. I I definitely have something in my mind. And where I may draw a little maquette in my notebook, usually I start working with the material and seeing how the material can kind of take that form. And sometimes it physically changes as I build it. So it's kind of a hands-on process. And sometimes, sometimes I work entirely out of my head to create something.
1: Welcome to the Studio Break podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 171st episode, we're joined by Eli Craven, who was Studio Break's 2016 competition winner. And because of that, he has an exhibition opening up this Friday at Demo Project. So we're very excited to co-promote this event. So you want to check out his show? It's called Touching, and it opens this Friday, January 20th at Demo Project in Springfield, Illinois. So please come out and check check. out the work. You can also see his work on elicraven.com. And to anyone that might be joining us for the first time, I just want to let you know Studio Break is a blog and podcast site. We feature a variety of different artists. They come on and they talk to me about their studio practice. You can check out all of the interviews on studiobreak.com. Again, each of our posts have images of the artist's work and links to their websites to find out more information. So please peruse. Of course, if you like the podcast, you can subscribe in iTunes, so please check us out there. You can, of course, like our Facebook page. Again, we provide updates of new episodes, announcements, things like that, so please like our Facebook page. You can also go to Tumblr and follow us there. It's Studio dash and last but not least send all your tweets to at studio break and say hello on twitter so please feel free to say hello there and be sure to follow us on twitter as well at studio break and with announcements out of the way here is our interview with eli craven stay tuned welcome to studio break eli craven how are you doing this morning
0: i'm fine thanks how are you
1: I'm doing excellent, and um, before we get to the interview, I guess I should note you were the 2016 Studio Break competition winner, and uh, because of that, you have an exhibition that's opening this Friday, January 20th, at Demo Projects in Springfield, so congratulations uh, for applying and winning. Thank you. And I know we're going to talk about that exhibition a bit later, but before we do that, um, I just want to start out by talking about uh, where you're from and maybe you know how you started getting into art and we can sort of move forward from there and
0: sure I was born in Idaho Falls Idaho that's where I grew up small town in the southeastern side of the state and uh, it was a pretty quiet childhood and but I have I mean I think my upbringing had a lot to do with what I'm interested in and you know what I like to do as an artist as probably a lot of people do consider as well. But, uh, I mean, we didn't have much to do. I was born in 1979 and, you know, as a kid growing up in the eighties, I think the, I was a physical child and I liked to play with toys and I did, we didn't get screen time as people say these days, um, (laughs) you know, um, so, I was making things, I was creating things. Um, my dad uh, was is an artist, and he's a painter, does mostly watercolor and oil landscape painting. but So he encouraged creativity and art, and that's what I spent a lot of my childhood doing.
1: Interesting. Well, you know, I'm curious then, you know, I'm interested in this idea of the image, and, you know, especially because it's featured so much in your work. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, was there any kind of early indication of... You know, just kind of being interested in images and and manipulating images or anything that you can kind of look or look back on as an adult and kind of maybe draw some sort of a a connection to what you make now?
0: Well, my teenage years definitely stick out a little bit more than maybe my childhood Mm -hmm. because uh, the only access I really had to images coming from Idaho. I mean, there's no Internet and we didn't have cable until I was a little bit older So um, I would just get magazines at the grocery store Mm -hmm. and I was really interested in, you know, Rolling Stone and, you know, music magazines. And I was a skateboarder as a teenager and I would get copies of Thrasher and Trans World Skateboarding. And and that that was my access to this world that existed outside of kind of our secluded state. It was was all farmland. Uh, It's conservative religious farmland and it was difficult to connect to people. And so I felt like it was the image that kind of led me to learn about the world, mm-hmm. and then and that ultimately that's what led me to want to be a photographer. I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to create images like the ones I saw in the magazines. I thought I wanted to be a skateboarding photographer or a, or a, you know, music photographer or take pictures of bands or something. Um, but I didn't have a camera. I didn't even do photography in high school. One of the local religious leaders, like a bishop in a local church, was one of the guys that did the photo classes all through my high school, and I didn't really want to associate with him. <laughs> we didn't see eye to eye, and so I never took a photo class in high school, and I tried to I eventually just taught myself.
1: Well, in that case, I'm kind of curious then. Did you have a lot of experience in high school kind of doing, like, 2D stuff, or did you do any sculpture or anything like that? What kind of experiences did you have?
0: Um, uh, it was always 2D for me, um, and I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know I wanted to be an artist. I actually didn't know what an artist did in high school. I saw that my dad made paintings, and I thought that's what art was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I saw photography as a very separate thing. I didn't see photography as an art medium. I saw it as something that you know a tool to capture an image. So I, I picked it up, and instantly it became more of a commercial tool, and I learned how to use it. And then I learned how to, you know, use it as a job. You know, I, people would ask me to do portraits and I did some weddings and some headshots and commercial things. And I actually grew to really dislike it at that point. The expectation to produce a product for someone and then get paid for it kind of tarnished how, what I thought of photography. It wasn't exciting to me anymore. So I gave up for a while. And then it wasn't until I went to um, college that I kind of really started to think about art.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think the thing that makes it interesting for me is just that it seems like it's maybe 50-50 across the board in terms of, you know, people being really supported or or not, you know, to kind of go into the arts anyways, you know yeah well, and so following that up, I mean, what kind of really you know drove you to make that decision? Um, I, I would imagine you're taking a lot of gen eds and maybe you know some intro courses and things like that um but i don't know I'm curious like where you started in terms of college then i mean
0: it was kind of indirect, so you know i get i'd kind of given up on photography and I only went to college because I felt myself getting older and I was a little bit lost, and my parents encouraged me to go to college and just take classes. And so I did. I went to Boise State University. I was living here in Boise, Idaho. And um, I declared a major of social work when I first went because I thought social work, I thought people were interesting. I could do that. And then I instantly switched to English literature because I thought I wanted to be a writer or a scholar of literature or something. One semester in, maybe my second semester there, I took a photography class in the art department there just to fill an elective. I thought it would be fun, especially because I was self-taught. I thought maybe I could learn something that I would missed, you know. And that's when that kind of conversation is photography as a medium, to communicate an idea rather than just a tool to capture an image came up. And um, as I got to know some of the art faculty while I was perusing the art department, I really kind of became hooked on this the discussion of art and contemporary art, which I was totally unaware of before that point.
1: Well, and it's interesting to me because you kind of described almost um, being a vagabond, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of not really knowing what you wanted to do. And you were talking a bit about, you know, doing wedding photography and portraiture and and some other things. And again, it's interesting because I've, I've kind of talked to, you know, some artists that have had some really kind of wild experiences or, you know, they kind of worked a lot of odd jobs and then came back to graduate school at, you know, 30. (laughs) (laughs) And it it seems like it's a, a different yeah. animal or something like that at the time, you know, because there's maybe a little bit more focus and I don't know a little bit more, you know, desire or you know determination in terms of maybe what you wanted to do since you've been, you know, kind of in that world for so long.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was it was almost like there was a switch turned on. Like I I I wasn't even looking to art or photography, and then pretty instantly in that photo class, I something changed in me, and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And then I changed my major, and I dove in and really started doing, studying anything I could about photography and reading a lot. And I really got immersed in the darkroom processes. So the school had a lot, um, a large darkroom, and did a lot of black and white processes. But um, I really wanted to know how to do color. I was, you know, I was was in. I think a lot of undergrads get into William Eggleston and Stephen Shore as artists and. And I was really into color photography and so i I kind of pushed my way with some of the faculty they didn't want me to do color. they'd just gotten rid of it a year or two earlier and moved a bunch of their equipment out and and I was nudging them, asking them if I could use one of the little old color labs for some private work and I eventually pushed my way in and um, so I taught myself how to do a lot of color work and c prints chromogenic prints, and I Really, it was just taking pictures every day, trying to learn the medium and discover what it was that I was interested in taking pictures of.
1: You know, it's interesting. Um, it makes you wonder, like, you know, were there a lot of differences in terms of, you know, some of the technical processes of, you know, using a camera and shutter speeds and all sorts of stuff like that? Because, you know, you kind of described, again, kind of having to learn a lot of that on your own, you know, so I'm curious what it was like then kind of, you know, going back into class and, and kind of getting a different angle, maybe, I don't know.
0: I did teach myself a lot of technical stuff but I also I think I um I taught myself some patience and I think it was good to that's, that's one of the difficult things that I approach now as a teacher too is how to get students to not move so quickly in this in a really digital centered curriculum students tend to just move really fast and they don't take their time with projects. And I think working in a darkroom teaches you, you 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 have to take your time and think about what you're doing. So I taught myself that. But I think an interesting thing that happened was um, I, I was much more interested in the photograph, you know, because of how much time I spent handling them and creating the physical object. Mm-hmm. Um, I was less interested in talking about a digital image so to speak but more of like a material image
1: well and so you know to kind of get an idea of maybe where you're at at the time uh what were some of the the works that you're making or you know were the things that you kind of gravitated towards in, in terms of your exploration or focus
0: i was looking at a lot of artists and you know john Baldessari was a big influence of mine and um john steseker i think can be seen in some of the collage work i've made too and And I started to see this kind of physical manipulation of an image. Um, I looked at a lot of Robert Heineken's work during my undergrad. And um, while I saw sometimes them using cameras or photographing something, I think the idea was much more prevalent, and the way they handled the image was much more prevalent. So I became interested in that. And by the time I was done with my undergrad... I was really much more interested in looking at imagery than I was in taking pictures. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to move into borrowing imagery when I, after I finished my undergrad.
1: Well, so is that kind of like when you started, you know, manipulating some of the images and in terms of some of the collages and, you know, kind of like reorganizing the way that you're, you're seeing them and, and putting them together in different ways?
0: I respond to my environment a lot. And so being in school and having such a beautiful darkroom and then a private darkroom space, I, of course, I was really focused on working in those darkrooms. And then as soon as I finished the program, I didn't have anywhere to work. And so while I was looking for studio spaces, I was really just, you know, at home in a makeshift studio. And the scale of the work really minimized. And so I started working in collage at that point, almost as a response to the limitations of my studio, and then once I moved into a studio space where I had access to more tools and a different way of working, I didn't have the dark room, but I had um, a wood shop and I instantly took what uh, had happened with the collage in, in my home and kind of um, expanded that process into a more sculptural process using the photograph as a base for a, a sculptural image.
1: Well, and it's an interesting idea, you know, thinking about, you know, again, a lot of times artists are limited in terms of resources. And sometimes that kind of like generates new ways of working. And again, I'm struck by all the manipulation that you kind of do. And maybe, you know, a good place to start would be screen lovers. Again, you've got a lot of work on your website, and I would encourage everyone to check out elicraven.com. You can kind of follow along. Um, But let's kind of start breaking down some of these bodies of work and, and your focus.
0: The limitations of the studio pushed me back, and I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't work in a dark room. I kind of halted in taking pictures, um, and that's when I started making some of the collage work, and that's where screen lovers kind of came from. And the interesting thing that I didn't mention before was that I, um, I've always been really interested in this sort of thrift and estate sale shopping, um, sort of a collection practice that kind of stemmed from my childhood and that there wasn't a lot of places to shop or look for things or get things. And we didn't have a lot of money when I was a kid, so we always did a lot of thrift shopping. Mm -hmm. And so all through high school and into my college years, I thrift shopped for cameras and camera parts and books and magazines. I had a pretty extensive collection and I never saw a connection between that and my artwork um, until... I was forced to kind of step back and change my practice after I did my undergrad. And I stumbled upon a book of the same name called Screen Lovers. And um, it, it was compiled and edited by Ann Bilson. I was kind of taken by the imagery in the it, it was this romantic, erotic, sexual imagery from movies, um, classic movies. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing to me was that the, the characters in all the stills weren't actually, you know, connecting in their embrace. It was always those moments in between. So their lips weren't touching and where they may be holding each other, they weren't quite there. And so, um, I kind of led me to start kind of playing with the images and I was folding them and connecting them and kind of creating these obscure forms or uh, kind of completing the action, so to speak. So, um, yeah, I started making those collages at home and it led to, a, um, a lot of collage work where I was playing with the, the source image and obstructing the source image. And, um, I really kind of developed a, a language that I would take into a lot of the later work from there that was, had a lot to do with looking and seeing and like permission to see, or the connection to an image and kind of responding to it and what, what you wanted the image to do or to be, or, you know, I, I was even thinking about, um, Some words from you know, because John Berger died recently. And so he's been on my mind a little bit. And I was going back and rereading some stuff from him and watching his shows. And he was, you know, talking about the connection between seeing and thought. And so um, you know, you might see a sunset, I think this is his words, you might see a sunset, but you might not think about the world turning, you know. And so I'd see these images, and um, I think it was just when I developed an awareness of what they meant or what existed behind the image. You know?
1: Well, there's something interesting about that idea of you know, removing the context of these figures. You know, you're kind of combining them into to one figure, and there's you know, edges and shapes that kind of continue into the other. It is kind of like an interesting relationship to, you know, maybe some of the work that comes later in terms of some of the mirroring that kind of goes on and, you know, ultimately how, you know, just by manipulating these images, you kind of create a a new context for them, which kind of feels like a little bit more universal just because, you know, you kind of disrupt that image. And then, you know, maybe somebody looking at it, you know, can kind of um, get into it in a different way than, you know, if it was just a, 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 I don't know, more complete um but you know that I guess that's just my take on it.
0: No, I I would take that. I because I think and in a lot of the work, as the work progressed too, it became it started to become very personal. Mm-hmm. So I started to question what it was I was doing to these images and why why I was so attracted to a certain type of image. And so I started thinking a lot about um uh what my stake was in the images and why I was uh, kind of performing these actions where the screen lovers work and plead for tenderness and some of the stuff was, was somewhat intuitive in a response to this book or a response to the image. But I wanted to just kind of look back into my personal history and think about why it was I had these intuitive responses and what it was about the imagery that made me want to cover it up or alter it or move it in a certain way. And so the work got a lot more personal Some of the later work, like the Naive Objects work on my website, was work created out of my family portraiture. And so there's a lot of self-portraits in that work and um, portraits of my parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I was thinking a lot about my childhood and the restricted access I had to images and also this kind of restricted access I had to information, both from growing up in a somewhat conservative religious family that felt like uh, there was a definitive line between what their kids could have access to and what the parents could have access to, almost kind of a hypocritical view of information, I guess. And um, and so I started to kind of play with my own family's imagery and physical objects, uh, some sculptural materials I'd find at hardware stores and at thrift stores And kind of building up the images with the the mirrored pieces, the the refraction pieces, to kind of distort the image and distort that history, I I suppose.
1: Well, and they're interesting because you kind of almost see this kind of like layering or distortion or, again, I'm I'm thinking of the uh, image um, Naive Objects Number 2, which is, I guess, the first that's in the series on the website. Mm -hmm. But it has this kind of like screen or kind of like layer that's almost kind of like interfering with the image. And then there's kind of other ones that are maybe similar in terms of the way that you kind of distort the image or, you know, like, again, there's there's some of them that are kind of like rolled up and, you know, hung on the wall for display where, again, it's kind of an interesting change uh, from, you know, some of the earlier work, which was kind of more 2D in, in terms of the manipulation. You know, these are a bit more three-dimensional um you know and i would imagine that you know as as somebody's kind of like walking around and kind of examining these you know they're kind of looking at them maybe in a, a different way than they they would have uh, in comparison to the works that were more flat
0: yeah i um i i, did, I was rolling the prints up it specifically to kind of draw attention to the fact that it was uh i mean it was, it's it is an object it's a the photograph is an object but it also it refers to a physical thing a physical person and um Those screens were, they're perforated aluminum sheets that are used in venting or radiator vents, radiator covers. And um, I was really kind of drawn to those for the the likeness to a confessional screen. Mm -hmm. And so I liked that kind of contradiction that, like like you said, it was a layering that disrupted the image or um, kind of... Filtered it, but at the same time, it has it has that likeness to something that should allow for some kind of opening up, uh, uh, an emotional opening, so to speak.
1: And is there anything like kind of in the process that you could kind of maybe reveal or maybe talk about a little bit? Again, I know that you know these photographs are kind of taken from a initial purpose, or you know maybe you know they're kind of composed for an initial purpose, and then you're you know manipulating them in different ways. Um, But I'm curious what that process is like experimentation is or the way that you kind of start to kind of edit or decide, uh, the way that these works are going to go? Because again, it's a lot different maybe than, uh, some of the processes that you were using before.
0: Um, well, a lot of times it's just an aesthetic or it's something I really like the look of with naive objects. It was, uh, the, the portraiture of my parents. And that's those, that specific work came from when they were pretty young, they were teenagers. Um, and I felt like, I was trying to draw a connection to my teenage years and I'd use uh, the images of me were from a developmental age and the images of them were from their developmental age. And while I think they had a similar aesthetic, they're mostly black and white other than some of the, there's a few color ones of me. Um, I also felt like the the specifics of the time period was significant so sometimes I suppose it's uh, the history of the image is important, um, but ultimately I look to the aesthetic of the image and if it's something I can work with, something that looks looks good.
1: Well, I'm curious. You know, is there like a intended kind of like um, response that you kind of want out of a viewer? Again, I know that might be a little bit loaded, but you know, again, you're taking something that's very personal, or at least from your own you know family history, and then kind of manipulating it and uh, representing it to the viewer.
0: Yeah, I think I think that there's a disconnect between how personal the imagery actually is because of the obstruction and the screen that stands in between the viewer and the image. Mm -hmm. And so I think I'm okay with that. I I don't necessarily need the viewer to feel the feelings I feel. Um, But I think that might be exactly what it's about is that um, I have a difficulty connecting to these images because of my history. And so um, I think the, that disruption or that disconnect or the alteration and disfiguration of the important of the, of the portrait is the important part.
1: It makes me think about, you know, how connected we are to images and, you know, maybe for kind of like a silly example, you know, I'm, I always kind of don't understand why I cart my high school yearbooks around because like at this point, uh, they're, they're just kind of like these weird objects that, you know, just kind of like sit in a closet and, I don't know just occupy space but I don't really kind of feel like I have a connection to that that past or that history. And I think it becomes especially interesting, you know, because there you know there might be somebody that has the complete opposite um you know view on these these ideas of images and you know history and you know especially now that you know the our culture is just so saturated with images.
0: Yeah, and it's funny you bring up the yearbooks cuz I I've, I've been hauling my yearbooks around too and I often question that same thing, you know, why, why do I keep them? And I suppose it's just because I'm so disconnected from that past. I think that that object might be the only connection I have to who that person was.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I felt that same way about some of my own family photography too, is that I felt a real disconnect from that history. But I think, you know, we, we all are so uh, invested in this kind of image based world. Um, and I, I think what I like to do in my practice, I guess, is I kind of point out an awareness that I have of thinking about these images. And I think if you slow down and actually think about the, what you're looking at, then it kind of it changes everything.
1: And I might be wrong, but you know, again, to me, it's almost like taking these images and making them like these experiences that you can actually consume. Yeah. And it's especially interesting because, you know, the way that, you know, images are consumed and kind of promoted again, they're kind of like in social media spheres and, you know, they go viral and all sorts of other stuff like that. And I think, again, just kind of by changing this context, it makes you think about the way that, uh, I don't know, it just makes you reflect.
0: Yeah.
1: So kind of moving forward from there, um, you know, there's, there's a number of new works or different works that I will say are kind of a little bit more humorous, um, you know, and again, I, there's some Patrick Swayze. Again, I am also a big fan of uh, the late Patrick Swayze,
0: <laughs>
1: but could you talk a little bit about this uh, next body of work uh, called P.S.?
0: At the time, I was thinking a lot about death and um, uh, the image's relationship to death. I was, I was reading a lot of George Bataille. And, and, uh, I was kind of, I guess it was kind of a gloomy period, but I also, I stumbled upon some transparencies of Patrick Swayze from probably from around his dirty dancing glory days. Mm -hmm. Some photographer that had taken them had, you know, discarded them. And I, I found a, a handful of them. And so I was interested in, um, not just how a a version of oneself or a version of something can live on after a you know photograph as a way to can continue living beyond death, metaphorically and physically. So um, to many people that never knew Patrick Swayze, I think as a celebrity, just he nothing's changed even though we know he's dead. <laughs> and I and so I was I was already kind of working on that work. I was thinking about the life of an image and the life of an object. And then um, right in the middle of that work, uh, when I found those images of Patrick Swayze, it seemed so appropriate. His initials are PS, which is, it was all very comical to me, but I just kind of sort of inserted him into the work as this figure, this kind of metaphorical figure of uh, someone watching from beyond the grave or uh, someone living through their photo- photographs.
1: Well, it's weird too because there's a sense of anonymity in the age that we live in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It seems like we're so disconnected, especially like on social media, just disconnected from all of these things that are kind of happening in almost like a different yep. world. Um, and again, I, I think it's, again, something interesting um, because, like, I, I think, again, like through um, kind of creating these, these different experiences, there's, there's maybe something to kind of, uh, respond to, uh, in a way that's again, real, as opposed to just something that's kind of, you know, experienced from a, a large distance.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think we're, um, you know, we're just so many steps removed from our own physical being. Um, so to kind of speak on that kind of anonymity on the internet, um, I mean, you, you create a, persona online that might have an avatar and the further you remove yourself from the f- a physical presence in in that world you can you can say and do anything you want with no repercussions and i think maybe trying to pull back to a physical experience uh, is a way to kind of confront uh that anim- anonymity or something um yeah i don't know
1: well, and one piece that really kind of sticks out to me from this body of work is, um, you know, again, these all these VHS tapes of, of ghosts that look like they're kind of like stacked and, and kind of like um, put into a wall or like a, a recessed wall. And again, if you're, you're looking at these, you know, again, you know that VHS is like outdated. This is something that people don't use anymore. Um, but there, there's something that like by combining that with uh, some of the objects that you wind up reusing, it kind of almost – um, brings you back into like a different time or like a different experience of these things. Like you're almost like setting people to kind of go back into to the 80s or something.
0: Yeah, there's definitely some nostalgia there and some looking back. And I, I think that's what the work is, too, is looking, looking upon history, but also looking for some physical value. A lot of the sculptural work in that body of work came from thrift stores and um, salvage stores, you know, building salvage stores. And so the, the recessed wall with the ghost VHSs is, is an old medicine cabinet. And, um, and then I, I obviously started noticing that, you know, there was repetitious objects like the ghost VHS. And I, every time I saw it at a thrift store, I just had to pick one up. I didn't really know what I was doing with it. Um, I didn't know what I was doing with a lot of that. Work until I got it to the studio and it sat in the studio for a few months, you know. Um, I had to really think about what it was, but something attracted me to some of those objects and and their function and maybe their loss of value.
1: Well, it's interesting because I, I start thinking about, you know, maybe the way that you were working before in terms of selecting images. Um, you know, I'd imagine a lot of times, you know, you're walking through like a, a thrift shop or something like that and, you know, maybe a, an object kind of sticks out to you. Mm-hmm. You know, almost like a like an artifact or something that that kind of um, kind of elicits something back to a different time, and and again, just kind of offers maybe like a, a different um, exploration because again, it becomes more physical as opposed to you know one that's just kind of again more more two dimensional.
0: Yeah, well, I, I mean, I'd already had been thinking pretty specifically about the. Um, how images get discarded or photographs get discarded. And so you might find photo books and wallet portraits and things like that. in these sales or, or if you go to an estate sale, the family's there and they're selling off all their stuff and they don't want to keep their images because it's been digitized. And so the value of the physical object is totally changed at this time. And so I get to become the new owner of what once was a really precious artifact to a family. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of interesting and disturbing and sad, you know, when I really think about it. And so I start, yeah, I started when I'd go through, I'd see all these objects that were and building materials and just things that had been constantly discarded because people are, you know, remodeling their life continually, and um, and it's kind of a, this capitalist life of buying new things and discarding the old and this rotation and. How quickly things lose their value
1: and so to kind of move on from this series there's a, another piece that i'm really interested in it's called Wake and it kind of looks like it's a, almost like a site specific installation or you know kind of elicits this idea of a, a funeral or something like that nature awake um, again, what kind of tell us a little bit about this installation what 's this one about
0: yeah it was Wake is an installation that came about um, after I had uh, attended a an event here in Boise, Idaho last summer. It was a, it was a tour of the, this old Gibson funeral home. And it was a funeral home here in Boise, Idaho that has been in operational for about 25 years. It's been closed up. So it was kind of like a time capsule. Anyway, the, the property has been sold and it's slated for demolition. And so uh, the historical society and the, I think the department of art and history here in Boise, held an event where people could come walk through it and there was a a lecture about funeral home history and in the United States and in Idaho and then we got to walk through the space and it was just it was really eerie and I'd already been thinking about death a lot and um, the image's relationship to death and then I started thinking of this metaphor this space of death and what the what a funeral means what it means to give something away and um with that on my mind, I have a I have um I have an exhibition that's currently on view at the Tarbell Art Center in Charleston, Illinois. And a, a part of that in, uh, exhibition is that wake installation. And it's um it's inspired by the um the architecture. There's a uh, there's an arc-like architecture in that building where they would hold the viewings, the casket viewings. So I sort of built these wooden, arced structures uh, with these fabric, curtain-like images. And they're um, images printed to fabric, and it's an image of me, and it's an image of my wife. And um, I was thinking of it almost like this premature wake mm-hmm. for us, um, not as a couple, just as individuals. You know, we've been living apart, and I think that influenced a lot of how I was feeling about that. She's, she's living in Idaho right now where she's working as an architect and I live in Illinois where I'm teaching and we do all this back and forth and I've developed this, um, this fear out of, I think it comes from a a discomfort with my current situation where you're not pleased, you know, you, 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 and if you were to die right now, you'd be really unhappy. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'd be really dissatisfied if this is how it all ended, and so um, you know. Anytime I'd go to fly home, I would just think, "Is this the last time I'm going to get on a plane?" You know, uh, uh, I don't know what it was, and so this visit to this funeral home made me think of a reverse order of operations, and if I could create like a shrine um, to our life, uh, maybe it'd be like a premeditated wake that would ward off any unnatural. Uh, or untimely death. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, I created those wooden structures. I have the our two portraits uh, on fabric draped through the, the arc of the structure. And then there's two red lamps, which historically a lot of funeral homes use red light or a warm hue to shed light on the body and make the, the body look full of life for the viewing. It also kind of hides, uh, it also hides the, um, some of the makeup effect I think that they do on the body for viewing.
1: So one of the things that I wanted to ask you about this then too, with this piece, I mean, is this something that you're working out, uh, digitally, you know, ahead of time to kind of get an idea of, you know, how you can kind of manipulate the space or are you literally just kind of, um, taking these different materials and then, um, just kind of, you know, again, slowly trying to add and edit, you know, as you're kind of working in the space.
0: Uh, No, it it all develops physically. So uh, I might have an inspiration based on images that I found or an object that I found. I don't work digitally necessarily to kind of line things out. I I definitely have something in my mind. And where I may draw a little maquette in my notebook, usually I start working with the material and seeing how the material can kind of take that form. And sometimes it physically changes as I build it. So it's kind of a hands-on process and sometimes... Sometimes I work entirely out of my head to create something.
1: You know, it's interesting to think about, you know, the idea of process when it comes to different artists, because, again, as you know, you know, artists use so many different methods to kind of create their ideas. Again, some people might be sketching and making maquettes, like you just said, or, you know, maybe they're writing all about their work to kind of help flesh out their ideas. Um, And again, you're kind of using, you know, found objects uh, in this case and then, you know, kind of slowly manipulating them, you know, in in front of you to kind of uh, develop the idea.
0: Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's all about um, looking and responding to the images and the objects. And so while it might start with searching, um, if I have nothing going on in the studio or I have nothing to work with, you know, I might start looking through some of the books that I've acquired or some of the stacks of images for some kind of inspiration. But then once I have something I really want to work with and I've got um, a direction for a project that I really want to make such as, you know, a project about death. Then I, I start, you know, working with the image and the materials I have around me and kind of intuitively seeing how, you know, these things can be illustrated or orchestrated or constructed. So it's all, it's very intuitive and visually responsive.
1: So could you talk a little bit about the PPS series and the way that it relates to the uh, PS series? And again, I I don't know. I'd rather have you break it down than, um, try and fumble it myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. PPS. It definitely came on the heels of the PS project and they're actually, they're related, but I, I said, I have these, um, I have stacks of these wallet portraits of people, people's children, people's loved ones. I don't know who they are. They're totally anonymous. Some of them might have a name on the back and a date, but I still, I don't know who they are. And, um, when I was kind of finishing up an installation and a viewing of some of the PS work and I was thinking about our public knowledge of someone like Patrick Swayze, I was really kind of obsessed with the anonymous portraits and how they're... I, I, was, I was just curious of their history and who these people were. And that was one of those moments where, you know, two things in the studio kind of clashed at just the right time because I have this book that i have been working with for a while on floral arrangement. And I just finished working with this this body of work where I'm thinking about death and symbols of death. And I was reading George Bataille and thinking about death and collection and, uh, and I what I, I really wanted to hear these people's stories, but I knew there was no connection. There was no way to hear those stories. And so some of the the materials and the symbolism from the previous work, such as those screens, those metal screens um, came into play, but I felt like there was no way to know or connect with these images, and so they were dead to me. Um, since they've been discarded and were dead, I just felt like there was no other thing to do than to just kind of build them as an homage to this anonymous person. And I removed their physical presence with like obstructing with the the different uh, floral arrangements. And then I um, covered them up with those screens, and then they became these sculptural objects.
1: Yeah, it's super interesting just to think about, you know, a subject like death. Because, again, I, you know, as someone that's like a, getting into their middle ages, again, it kind of just makes you um, think about it in, a, in maybe in a different way. Because, it, it, you know, at one point seemed like it was so distant or something that seemed so removed from your experience. And then, you know, something that, you know, as you're getting older, you know, changes the meaning of it. Yeah. But I'm I'm curious for you then, you know, what's the interest? Um what what what's the big interest in death? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think I I started to really think about it when I you know really wanted to connect with these people that I was collecting. And um and with that disconnect I was is thinking a lot about how there's so many people that come and go on the readings I was reading about and, um, which is where my head space was. And then I just, I took a path and I went really far down it. Um, so I don't know why this current, current space in my life, I'm really into it, but I think it has a lot to do with, uh, digging through people's old things.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, again, it's, it's just such an interesting idea, and I, I think there's a, a lot of room to kind of explore there.
0: No, the PP, PPS and PS, are, are, there's selections from both of those works that are showing along with the Wake installation, and they're showing together at the Tarbell Art Center currently, and they'll be up through, I think, Feb, February 12th.
1: So what work are you going to be exhibiting at a demo project then?
0: Tarbell in it's at Eastern Illinois University. The work that's going to be shown at the at demo projects um, opening on January 20th is um, it's a new body of work that shows called Touching, and uh, it has it's all new. I don't just, I don't think any of it's on my website at this point, but it's um, a video installation with a sculptural installation of images printed to uh, more images printed to towel fabric and then. Um, it's something, I, I guess I like to call it video collage. And it's, it's like, it's almost like gifs that I've made of, um, collaged TV clips. So I've collected like archives of these old TV shows and, and I'm collaging over the video and then re-editing the video and then the video gets projected onto, um, these draped towels. So it's, it's, it's an installation of sorts and it's video and it's sculptural and it's also some printed image.
1: You know, with the wake piece, again, it's interesting to think about just the idea of uh, the context of installation. And especially with this exhibition, again, I know that demo is, you know, in kind of like an old house and, you know, I'm just kind of curious if that's something that you've managed to kind of maybe incorporate um, a little bit into, you know, the idea of this, this exhibition
0: demo definitely makes me think about the impermanence of something like that. And so some of the work that's going to be in their space is a collection of these magazine pages that I carry with me in the studio. When I'm thinking, I usually I'll have them in my hand and I'll crumple them. Um, and so they become these deteriorated, just totally destroyed pieces of paper that have an image on it, but it's they start to kind of become almost fabric-like in their quality because of how much they're being rubbed and distorted. So I was thinking a lot about, um, the destruction and temporary nature of these images and objects as I was working with some of the work, but, um, also it was just kind of happenstance that the exhibition opportunity came up, um, right when I was actually working on some of these video collages. So the two things are coming together and also the, the fact that demo project is, you know, it's a domestic environment. And so the, the towels were very much a response to, um, installing in what feels like a home.
1: Yeah. And I think it's interesting because, you know, like we've talked about before, I think, you know, there's just a whole lot of people out there that are nostalgic for, you know, something like that, or, or to think about the idea of homes or the eighties or, you know, something like that. But, um, Again, it really becomes something that's kind of different to me, and just that it's you know much different showing in that kind of space versus showing in a a gallery space, which might you know seem a lot more cold.
0: Yeah, I can't get away from it. I you know I, I'm aware of the look and feel of some of the work because it all comes from. I just keep going back to my childhood. That's what I'm real. I think what I'm really trying to decipher here is. Um, what that time period did to me, and what that, um, what the imagery of the 80s and 90s, and what I kind of grew up with, how it shaped my attraction to this like this physical image.
1: I guess uh, as we're kind of getting close to wrapping up here, why don't you just um, remind everyone about your exhibition that's currently on view and uh, the one that's coming up at a demo project.
0: Yeah, the the PS work is currently on view at the Tarbell Arts Center in Charleston, Illinois, at Eastern Illinois University. It'll be up until February 12th. I'll also be doing a a lecture there the evening of January 19th in their auditorium. And then the upcoming exhibition at Demo Projects in Springfield, Illinois, opens January 20th, and that is titled Touching.
1: I'm curious, you know, with, again, these big exhibitions and all this work that kind of goes into them, do you have a lot of stuff that you're kind of mulling over, thinking about in terms of uh, future work that's coming up and, you know, just uh, different directions that maybe you want to go in after these, uh, these shows close out?
0: It'll be nice. You know, a lot of, a lot of my, um, opportunities, my exhibitions have been kind of going back to back for a while now, and I'm kind of looking forward to having a little bit of a break, but, um, but I have, I have a, a few projects that are in process that I need to just continue working on. They're not finished. And so I'll just be in the studio working.
1: All right. Well, again, I just want to take a second to thank you so much for, you know, coming on today and, and, uh, talk to me about your work. I, I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, it was was a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thanks once again to Eli for joining us, and please check out his website, elicraven.com. If you want to see his work in person, please come out this Friday, January 20th, to Demo Project. His exhibition, Touching, opens at 6 p.m. with a number of other awesome exhibitions at Demo, so please come out and say hello. You can also check out his work at the Tarble Art Center at Eastern Illinois University in Charleston, Illinois, and that exhibition runs through February. 12th. And I'd like to especially thank Allison and Jeff over at Demo Project for this collaboration. It's always interesting. And of course, Eli was our 2016 competition winner and thus received this wonderful exhibition opportunity at Demo Project. So if you're an artist, please go ahead and visit their website to find more information about applying. If you like today's episode, please check out the other episodes on studiobreak.com. Again, each of our posts have images of the artist's work. Links to their websites and these wonderful interviews that give you an inside look into the artist's studio practice. So please visit StudioBreak.com. Of course, we do have an archive section right on the left sidebar so you can go back through the months and check it out, or you can just follow that iTunes link and subscribe to the podcast there. If you do like this podcast, please leave us some comments in iTunes. Again, it just helps with visibility. You can also help us out a ton by sharing these interviews via social media and, of course, following us on social media. So please like our Facebook page. Again, we do provide new episodes as well as exhibition opportunities and other announcements there. You can follow our Tumblr account, at studio-break.tumblr. And, of course, you can send us your tweets to @studiobreak on Twitter. And please also follow us there. Again, we love hearing from uh, different artists and listeners, so please say hello in any of those formats. As always, I would like to thank Skyler Mail for providing the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork. His website is SkylarMail.net. You can also feel free to visit my website. It's DavidLinaway.com. Again, there's a bunch of painting work up there. And, of course, please feel free to say hello on Facebook. And that brings us to the end of our episode. I thank you once again for listening. I wish everyone a very productive studio. And we'll talk to you real soon.